Teen Time Presents Podcast On Demand. Log on to podcast.rthk.hk. Teen Time Podcast On Demand. Welcome back to the Teen Time Science Blog. I'm Neil Chase. Last week marked the 50th anniversary of man travelling into space. On 12th of April 1961, a Russian called Yuri Gagarin made the first voyage into orbit, the first time a man had ever ventured beyond the Earth. The flight was short, just over one and a half hours, and it lasted just one orbit of the Earth. But it was a huge achievement. Gagarin became a household name around the world, and the success of the Russian mission made the Americans even more determined to match the achievement. Back then, Russia and America were sworn enemies, and this mission marked the start of the so-called space race. However, although it must have been great to be the first man in space, to undertake that mission with still unproven technology was a very brave thing to do. Unfortunately, Gagarin died seven years later on a routine training flight for the Russian Air Force. He was only small in height, 1 meter 57 centimeters, but his legacy was huge. Language is something we all take for granted, whichever language we speak. It evolves and grows, but when and where did it start? New research into language is suggesting that human language could have started in southern Africa a lot earlier than we had thought. Of course, it depends on how you define language and when animal grunts turn into more meaningful conversation. But scientists from New Zealand have tracked the simple elements of speech, the vowels, consonants and tones of speech, and tracked how many of those there were in various languages and in various countries. Then, by using maths and calculus to calculate back, they estimate that the biggest concentration of language seemed to come from southern Africa, probably around 50,000 to 100,000 years ago. Of course, we will never know for sure, but we have been talking for thousands of years. One of the deadliest diseases in the past was smallpox. The virus killed hundreds of millions of people over thousands of years, but after global vaccination efforts, the disease was totally eradicated from the whole world in 1979. Only two known samples of the virus remain, one in the USA, one in Russia, both in very secure laboratories. So should they too be destroyed? Or should we keep a sample just in case the disease does crop up again? It shouldn't resurface, and so the common sense solution is to destroy those too. However, critics say that some nations might be storing samples of the smallpox virus to use as a possible weapon in future, and so we should keep hold of samples to use in further vaccines just in case. A decision on whether to destroy the two remaining samples of the virus will be made by the World Health Organization later this year. These days, a mobile phone is much more than just a phone and may have internet access, GPS and a whole range of other features. 
all mobile phones work on the same principle, that they use a signal from one local transmitter, and then when you move around, you pick up a signal from another transmitter, with your phone using the strongest signal. However, the process of moving from one transmitter to another can cause you to lose your signal or internet connection. So what designers are working on now is a way for the phone to use its GPS connection to predict where you are going and then predict the next cell transmitter that you need to be connected to in order to maintain a more seamless connection. It wouldn't work in all parts of the world, but if the system can be perfected, then it should lead to a much smarter connection from a much smarter smartphone. There are far too many endangered species of animals around the world. However, by knowing more about their habits and movements, naturalists will have more information about how to protect them better. Unfortunately, many animals look much the same, and so it can be difficult to track their individual movements. But zoologists in the USA have developed a new barcode scanner, which they claim can recognize individual animals easier. Naturally, the easiest animal to track by the new barcode scanner is a zebra. The black and white zebra stripes are as individual as a human fingerprint, and so by processing digital images of zebras by a barcode scanner, these zoologists can recognize individual animals easier. Scanning other striped animals like tigers and giraffes should be possible too. However, tracking plain-colored animals like lions might take a little more technology. I'm Neil Chase, and that's it for the science blog for this week. Read it back again on the Teen Time website, and I'll see you next Thursday evening for more. Teen Time presents Podcast On Demand. Log on to podcast.rthk.hk. Teen Time, Podcast On Demand. <laughs>